Stop it! Don't open that door! everyone, welcome to a different kind of video game podcast. This is the Masters of Unlocking for our first episode of the new year, 2019. It seems weird to say it, almost as weird as saying 2000 was weird the first time I had to say that. It's not ever going to get unweird, I don't think. Uh, so, who are we? What is the Masters of Unlocking podcast? We are, uh, like I said, a different kind of video game podcast. Uh, one of us is an author, YouTuber, and game lover. Uh, sensually, if I might add, and that's me. The other is a collector and recovering game store owner. That's him. I am Caleb J. Ross, at Caleb J. Ross, pretty much everywhere online. And he is at VG Collectaholic, at VG Collectaholic, pretty much everywhere online. And we delve into the business, economics, and psychology of video games. And that's what makes us a different kind of video game podcast. We're not just about the news, though we do talk about that a lot, but most of the news that we do talk about involves business, economics, and psychology of video games. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about um, an interesting, I think, uplifting story about uh, police officers who do their killing on TV screens instead of in real life. Uh, We're going to talk about Sony being committed to single-player experiences, the benefits of exposure to violent video games. See, that's the kind of story I like. I I hunt for the story that supports my own beliefs. Mm -mm -mm. I'm a a true scientist. And uh, we talk about the NES and the Super NES Classic systems stopping production and what that could possibly mean. Uh, We talk about the Game Awards and how they're getting gamier and awardier every year in our main event. We're going to talk about the best of 2018. Uh, I'm looking forward to it because 2018 was one hell of of a year, but we're just fresh after the holidays. Scott, what? Uh, how'd you spend your holidays? I had a great holiday. Went home, uh, back to Wisconsin, I visited family. Uh, Laura and I, my girlfriend, went back, and she's from the Dominican, so a nice Wisconsin winter is oh, a, wow. a little little out of her <laughs> wheelhouse. Uh, but she had a great time. She experienced walking on frozen lakes for the first time ever, and that freaked her out to no end. That's how every wonderful, uh, romantic, uh, necrophiliac story starts, you know? It was sort of like uh, she was playing a game of Colot, uh, actually. So <laughs> Wow, you, you just made that sexy situation I described even sexier. Sexy! <laughs> but she went ice fishing. She caught a, a, two in, a two-foot northern pike. Uh, mm. So that that freaked her out even more. <laughs> it wasn't wait. What, what was she expecting to catch in the lake? You know, I don't think she was really expecting to catch anything. Okay, yeah. Okay. But yeah. at least a fish is probably the least surprising of things that you would want to catch. It it is. It is. My after she caught it, my uncle showed her something he caught last year, and it was an otter. Uh, <laughs> so that was a little weird. So he kept it and and stuffed it, or well, he his neighbor had like a like an otter license, I guess, and so he gave it to his neighbor who made a pelt out of it and gave him back the pelt because he kind of it was basically a story that he always he likes telling because it hmm. scared the crap out of him when he pulled it out of the <laughs> you know, ice fishing hole. Um, yeah, wow. yeah. This is the strangest opening we've ever had. Now we've spent uh, <laughs> we've been talking about ice fishing for. Only minutes. the third time we've talked about 
catching otters, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> oh, yes. No, it it's it's weird that it's 2019. I opened up our our Google Doc that we have for uh, kind of going over topics and preparing each other. Because uh, for those who don't know, we are not in the same spot as we record. We record this podcast from half a country away, Caleb, mm-hmm. in the wonderful Midwest, the Kansas City region. Your football team is doing quite well this year. We have a football team? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Go sports. Go sports. <laughs> um, yeah, but I opened up our, our Google Doc, and I see that we're recording this episode on January 3rd, 2018. Oh! <laughs> so that's uh, that's fun and exciting. Fixed. <laughs> ah, the wonders of a Google shared document. <laughs> oh, good times, good times. Yeah, so basically spent... Spent the week back in Wisconsin, visited a bunch of family. Um, Laura co-opted my Switch on the entire trip and sort of fell in love with the thing. So she's now excited, super excited to play Donkey Kong Country on it. Nice, nice. And she's not a gamer per se really at all, is she? No, she's not. She's not a gamer yet. She spent the entire flight playing Super Mario Brothers 3 on the, uh, the Nintendo subscription you know, that you can get the the free 20 Nintendo games or whatever it was. I mm-hmm. signed up for the subscription right before the trip, specifically because I figured she would want to play some of the Nintendo games. And they would be p- simple to just hop into for a few minutes and, and play on the flight. And my evil plan worked perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's only a matter of time before she gets upset when you play games without her. Boy, that'll be fun. Oh, that'll be fun. Wait, no, <laughs> that, that's not the idea. I want to be able to play games all the time. Wait, so you can play the uh, NES games, the NES online games offline? I thought you had to maintain an, a Wi-Fi connection. Is that not true? No, no, you can huh. play it. Uh, yeah, oh. you just you download it. Um, I'm sure it has to, like, double check your subscription every now and then. But, mm-hmm. yeah, no, we were, we were not connected, and nice. they all worked perfectly. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, so that's pretty solid. And then while I was in Wisconsin, I started thinking through plans for 2019 as uh, my family was going around and talking about their New Year's resolutions. Is is that something you get into, New Year's resolutions? Not at all. I disappoint myself 364 days a year. I don't need to do it a 365th. Mm, I agree. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not one to try to delude myself into thinking I'm going to suddenly lose weight or change my diet or be good at life. Although I do recall both of us last year at this time saying that one of our resolutions was to play the Bioshock trilogy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think any of us got anywhere close. No. I did attempt and man that game. The first one is the only one I start. I started just not my thing. I don't know why. It should be my thing, but I could not get through it. It was boring as hell. That's just, that's what it is. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Bioshock and, fans. And just like that, New Year's resolutions, not happening. <laughs> sunken like a sunken city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, wait, are you segueing into something later? Or maybe not. I don't, I don't know how far you are in God of War, so maybe I shouldn't. Spo- spoilers, I guess. Hello. No, Early in, that's early in the story where you're all fine, listeners. I'm actually just past that point. Ah, there yeah. you go. I actually got to that and saved it, and that's exactly where I'm at. Nice. So you met the serpent? 
I did. I did meet nice. the serpent. That was pretty mm. cool. Pretty cool. He's a good guy. Obviously, that's what I'm playing. I'm playing God of War. Uh, finally gave up on Fallout 76. Thank God. After only 140 hours yeah, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that was terrible. I <laughs> I kept playing it because I hadn't gotten God of War. Mm. I knew that God of War was going to be the next thing that I started playing. Uh, and I bought God of War on... I bought the regular edition on Gamefly on their year-end deal. Uh, and it took forever to arrive. It actually, I got, it finally showed up while I was in Wisconsin. So um, the last couple of weekends before heading back home, I did play a little bit of Fallout, but didn't really play anything else. Um, probably because I'd played Fallout, and that <laughs> kind of took me out of the mood to just play video games in general. Oh, that's a bad game. It's a bad game. The best part of that game is the Country Roads promo. Mm-hmm. Take me home. And you don't even get that in the game, do you? Isn't that just, yeah. Actually, that's just, actually you do. You, oh. the, ga- it, the, the song does play very rarely, though. Like, so the Fallout, like some of the other Fallout games, it has different radio stations that play in, you know, on your, from your, uh, your Pip-Boy, I guess, or something. Um, mm-hmm. And... Every once in a while, there's like just a Fallout radio that station that you can go to. Then it cycles through uh, some random songs, some real songs from the past, and some like pseudo past songs that are from our future, but the game's mm-hmm. past. Um, and one of the songs that plays quite infrequently is Country Roads. I think I maybe only heard it twice, but it does it does pop up and. Then I'm like, oh, I love that promo. Oh, yeah, but I'm, I'm still playing this game. <laughs> oh, that's not good. No good at that's all. That's not good at all. No. Not good at all. No. What about you? What, what, was your, uh, what was your holiday experience, Mr. Ross? Uh, didn't do any traveling. Not really traveling, relative speaking, to the amount of traveling you did anyway. Just drove half an hour or so to my sister's house um, and uh, just hung out there. It was kind of fun. Uh, we did play some uh, Jackbox Party Pack with the family. Um, I have never played that. I well, I played it at work uh, just before the holiday. Um, we had like a office happy hour thing, and we were playing the Jackbox Party Pack. And I never played it. I heard about it, but it it is a whole lot of fun. And um, I my family are not gamers. I wasn't sure what to how they were going to respond, and um, they had a lot of fun with it. So it was actually a, a good amount of fun. I have a feeling that's going to be sort of a a uh, tradition now um and uh yeah so nice. that was a lot of fun yeah i've heard yeah, that's I, a lot i've heard that's a really fun party game yeah super fun um and I, I i think there's five or so uh iterations um we played the third one not that that probably matters to anybody i think the only difference is that there's just different collection of games in them like little mini games um so yeah it was a lot of fun uh, i took the entire uh time off between uh, Christmas and New Year, so it was a couple weeks, I think, total that I had off, and this is really the only time of year that I end up taking that much time off, or at least I didn't really take much time off. We just have a lot of time off from from uh, our our office has a lot of time off as well, so it was just a really long, nice long break, and I played a ton of video games. I read a lot, um, and I made three videos on my channel within those two weeks, which is super super high production for me. Um, so I felt like I was accomplished, but I also did a ton of relaxing and sleeping in. So it was really, it was kind of the perfect vacation and I'm not a traveler. I don't like traveling. It it just, anything I can do to not have to do that, I'm totally cool with. So that made it extra nice because I didn't have to really go anywhere. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Nice. Oh, hold on one second. I have somebody at my door. Uh Uh-oh. We're going to hear a murder. Everyone listening to this podcast, listen real closely. 
you'll hear a scream. Or, if the killer is good at his job and does what I paid him to do, it will be silent, leaving no traces at all. Was that scream? Did I hear it? No? Okay. No? Never mind. Sorry. Uh, I hear some shuffling that could be dragging a body, kicking an arm out of the way so the killer can shut the door appropriately. That's probably what it is. Um, or maybe Scott remembered he has a very long name, so signing for this package is just taking a while. Uh, he has like three different Esquires at the end. He has several middle initials with some long middle names. Fitzgerald, Ferdinand, others that begin with F. Uh, oh, yep, there's the, the, I told the killer not to talk, and he did. Ooh. You're not getting a tip, sir. All right, I am back. Yay, and you're still alive, just like I knew you would be. Whew, that was scary. <laughs> People coming to my door is rare, unless they're yeah. delivering me food. Or packaged. Was it a package or food or both? It was a package. Mm. Oh, ironically, given the point we're at in our uh, our Google Doc here, I catch my breath. <laughs> wow, did the did the guy just throw the package out in the yard and you had to well, get it? Or? One of my, my non-New Year's resolution resolutions was that I'm going to convert my office slash guest bedroom into a second video game library room. It's mm. time. It's time. <laughs> the game library has expanded to the point where it needs a second room, really a third room, because there's one game room and one game library. Now there will be one game room and two game libraries. But in doing, I needed to uh, order some new shelving. So so you lifted some heavy stuff. That's Yeah, that was the delivery uh. guy with my six uh, new Atlantic Oscar 1080 media shelves. So... Yeah, they just arrived. And it looks nice. like they're all in one piece, so that's kind of nice. <laughs> that is nice. Yeah. That, well, I, I assume aside from assembly required. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. going to be this weekend. I'm going to have to, first I have to disassemble this room, which is where I actually do my, my podcast recording. I'm sitting in the office room right now where my computer is, and uh, it's kind of a disaster. So I have to get the, <laughs> the guest bedroom or the guest bed out of here and, and uh, have that hauled away. And then uh, I have a, just a boatload of stuff that I need to eBay off. So um, that needs to just get out of here. And then I'll have a nice empty room and I'll put up some shelves. Basically all the walls will be coated with, uh, with new game shelves. And I think what I'm going to do is I've been going around and around about how I'm going to divide things up amongst the two game libraries. I tried thinking modern versus retro. I tried thinking cartridge versus CD based games, but ultimately I think this room might be the Nintendo room. Um, mm. and I think the size is just perfect to house like a complete Nintendo set, a complete N64 set, a complete Super Nintendo set, and then one of the disc-based or like one of the, probably a GameCube set and a Wii U set maybe. And then wow. that would be all that would fit in here. I don't have all of those, but, uh, I'm getting close. 
Wow. That's crazy pants. That is crazy pants. So right now, is it safe to assume then that a lot of the games you have are just sort of stacked up in piled places and that they will be, once these shelves are set up and installed, they will be pretty full almost immediately? Yes. So the game library I have right now is is bursting at the seams and overflowing. But I, what I'll probably do is set up this room so that it's just ready to slot in the stuff that I don't have. Like I've got uh, game protector cases for placeholders for all of the Nintendo games that I'm missing. So I'll probably mm. just like line those up on the shelves and leave in placeholders for you know filling in the gaps. I'm down now to 225 NES games left for the licensed set and I think seven left for the Tengen set and then I'm not really going for the complete unlicensed set I think there's I I only have a handful of those I think I need like 60 of them to left for that well and then you would also have to get into the world of like modern day carts that people make because technically those would be nintendo games but they're unlicensed and so then you have to worry about where the cutoff yeah. is and all yeah that kind of, yeah yeah I, I know there's a lot of a lot of folks out there that collect like all of the aftermarket stuff and they collect fan translations and um you know like the repro or um aftermarket stuff like the um what is it not i am 8 bit was it i am 8 bit that released those like mega man and street yeah, fighter yeah i believe yeah. so it was either i am 8 bit or fan fan fit yeah i think it was i am 8 bit yeah, yeah yeah i think it is yeah no i i just that stuff just doesn't interest me i think i'm mostly interested in in not only gaming for just playing game's sake but interested in it for the the history of the industry and i mean i guess that is a sort of an interesting postscript to a game console's history, but just doesn't really interest me all that much. Yeah, once it starts getting manufactured specifically for the sake of collecting, then it probably, I would assume, gets a little less um, interesting, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Because, like, those kinds of things, they really are for peep for collectors. Like, to spend $125 or whatever it is on a on a uh, Street Fighter Two cart that doesn't actually even work. Yeah, um, or that the was there a warning on it that specifically said don't put this in your system it could catch on fire kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's kind of the nature of of anything that's any collecting hobby, whether it's collecting video games or collecting baseball cards or collecting action figures, whatever it is. Once it gets to the stage where everything says limited or collectors or mm-hmm. what have you on it, it usually isn't. That's usually yeah. just like the the mass produced garbage that um, companies make just to try and you know cash in on the craze. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So and shelving they're... companies, those guys are cashing <laughs> in on the craze too. So that's that's going to be my weekend. Um, nice. Have a lot of fun getting organized. I'm the. You should just alphabetize the entire collection from A to Z, independent of which system it's for. Ooh. One long, totally haphazard. All the boxes are different shapes. Just <laughs> A to Z. That would be a horrific looking shelving system. <laughs> just gaps and holes everywhere. Oh my god, yep. that would that would drive my OCD utterly. <laughs> I, I would be jumping off a uh, jumping off the roof. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man. So we, we talked about what we kind of been playing. Um, we started talking a little bit earlier about God of War. Mm-hmm. How are you liking that one? Oh, man, I'm loving it. I'm not super far into it yet, as we, we mentioned. I'm probably... I played it most of the day on... Or most of the afternoon and evening, I should say, on New Year's Day. Uh, that's when I really sort of dove into it. And... I didn't get all that far because I was kind of watching it, or I was playing it while I was watching uh, Avengers Infinity War and kind of multitasking, so I spent a lot of time with it paused doing other things. Um, But I'm really, really enjoying it. I I really liked God of War 1 and 2, and uh, I think the only other one I played was Chains of Olympus on the PSP. I really always liked the... Greek mythology, Greek and and Roman mythology angle on it, but taking it and just changing it into the Norse mythology, I'm really digging. It's kind of the, uh, that man out of place kind of, uh, storyline, story dynamic. And I don't know if I'm biased just because my whole family is Norse, but I'm, I'm really liking the setting. It really visually, um, reminds me of Horizon Zero Dawn, mm-hmm. and that's probably just the wintry setting and and the fact that it just really takes takes advantage of the PlayStation Four Pro's HDR capa- capabilities, like Horizon Zero Dawn did. But mm-hmm. that's kind of the feeling I get when I'm playing it, just from a visual perspective. I I agree, and you the place you're at is shortly after is right after actually the Witch's uh, Cove, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that Witch's Cove, that was the first time when like the colors popped, and I'm like, holy crap, this is a good looking game. Mm-hmm. Um, that one, that's up until that moment, I was like, eh, it, it's 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 good enough. I'm having fun at least, and it's a good story. It's a good enough story. Um, I th- I do think the story was a bit overhyped, but so far anyway, I'm I'm a little further than you are, but not terribly too much further. Um, but yeah, and then when you see the world serpent for the first time, that's sort of the first like impressive sort of like, uh, scale kind of like you really get the sense of scale at that point. No Um, pun intended. (laughs) That's right. Cause he's scaly. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm having a ton of fun with it too. Um, I, I, especially cause I put it on easy after a while, uh, then it becomes way more fun. Uh, you mentioned um, in the notes here anyway that it's a little bit less hack and slashy than the previous entries. It's not if you put it on easy. It's just <laughs> as hack and slashy. It's way more fun. Uh, so I, I got this is this is sort of the barometer for when I'll turn a game onto from normal to easy. Um, if there is any any story elements that I would miss by putting it on easy. So if if the developers have said, hey, if you put it on easy, you're not going to get a complete game and you're going to miss story beats or whatever. Then I'll try to stick with normal as much as I possibly can, and in most games I'll stick through a normal. That's that's no problem. But then when uh, when I start like dreading a new battle, like so I'll turn a corner and there might be like a big rock monster or whatever, and if I start going, oh crap, like and it then that's that's a signal for me like this is not fun anymore. And to prevent me from putting it down entirely, I'm like I gotta go easy mode, and so I did that. I'm having a ton of fun with it. There's a character uh, that you'll meet a little bit later on um, named Mimir. And he becomes this like sort of third party comic relief kind of character. And mm. that and that turns it and you're really, really close to that point. So it's it's not too much further. But um, that then it gets just even more fun. Like it just becomes it's almost like the sun and Amir are like always dumping on Kratos. <laughs> and Kratos is like he's a freaking god and he's just taking it. And it's just it's kind of just fun and, and a little bit whimsical and just kind of neat. 
Um, but yeah, I'm having most fun just exploring the entire world um, in that sea area, uh, the Lake of Nines, I think it's called. That's the first time that you get to actually really, I think, truly explore things. Mm-hmm. And so I had a ton of fun. In fact, I'm, that's where I still am right now. Like I could go anywhere else in the game, but I'm staying there because I'm just exploring stuff and looking around. And so that's a whole lot of fun. Um, I mentioned the story how I wasn't quite as impressed with it. And I think it's because to me it feels like it's 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 sort of stitching together all of the big story beats from Norse mythology rather than sort of create something truly unique. And, and there's no there's not a whole lot of subtlety to it right now. Mm-hmm. It's It's all very heavy handed. Um, which is interesting, and especially when you do meet the character of Mimir, he fills you in on a lot of the actual um, actual mythology, the Norse mythology, and, and will tell you stories about things and gods and things like that. So you kind of get a lot of that aspect of it, which is pretty cool. Um, but, I, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, uh, what What's your take so far on the just the whole father-son dynamic? Um, as, as, a, as a parent, I'm interested to hear your <laughs> take on it. Yeah, I like it. What's funny is um, I was I was playing with my kids, uh, and it's a pretty violent game, but it's very comic violence and, and everything, so I don't mind them watching it. Um, there are the uh, shopkeeps, which I think you've probably seen one mm-hmm. so far already, yep. who, who's a bit uh, – he, he's a bit uh, uh, potty-mouthed. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they, they're taken aback by that. But in terms of the relationship itself, I like it. Um, it's funny cause I'll watch it and the, my kids are like, why is there, why is the dad so mean? Cause he is kind of just very blunt and yep. straightforward and yep. he doesn't have really any compassion. And for, in the context of the game, the father Kratos is trying to teach his son how to be a survivor and how to live. So he doesn't really want to inject too much emotion into that. But that's part of the story that I actually didn't like, not because of the father son dynamic, just, but just because it's so black and white. Like there are moments where from a direct, from a director standpoint, you can tell that they're trying to show Kratos like almost connecting with him emotionally. Mm-hmm. Like they'll show his hand kind of almost touching his shoulder to like pat him on the shoulder for a good job. But then he pulls away at the last moment. And that to me feels really lifetime movie heavy handed. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was, it's kind of took me out of it. Cause I'm like Kratos, either you're a crazy, you know, God and you're mean or you're compassionate. You're obviously not compassionate. So don't try to fool us into thinking you are at this point. Yep. And they, um, they seem to, I, I'm not all that far into the game, but they've done that a several times now already. Yes. And it just yes. seems like, uh, we've, we've seen this, this song and dance once too many times. Yep. There's, there's one moment. Um, it's, uh, I'll, I'll, it's, uh, there's a, there's a part where Kratos leaves his son alone and goes into this, like, light dimension world thing um when you get to that that's probably the only real moment of like oh there's some there's some heart here like that's the kind of moment where where the story kind of gets a little bit more interesting but it completely abandons it almost immediately Hmm. um so next time we talk maybe i'll ask you about it because i'm sure you'll get there by that point it's it's pretty close to where you are um but yeah that was that's that's kind of interesting um i feel like the kid is a little bit too 21st century sometimes uh, hmm. he's he, he uses almost slang sometimes and I'm like are they trying to just connect it with a with a modern audience I guess because he'll just say things like I, he doesn't actually say shut up or that sucks but he'll say things that are very similar to that yeah. like why would you even know to say that you, you've lived in a cabin with your mother and your father who's a god and obviously very simple and direct your entire life like where would you pick up on right. talking like a millennial you know uh, yeah so, you, it's a little it's, an- anachronistic Yes, that's a great way to say it. So, but uh, but in terms of gameplay, it's super fun. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be better than you know in terms of 2018. I don't think for me it's going to be better than 
um, than uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, in fact, probably not even close, but I know a lot of people would put this higher than Red Dead Redemption 2, but uh, so far I, I'm, I love like Red Dead Redemption 2 quite a bit better, so... Yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty fun. Thus far, I will say I'm I'm I am surprised at all of the game of the year buzz that this got, and and not just buzz, but I mean, it, it won game of the year at the game awards, and it's gorgeous. But it is it it still feels a lot like a like a God of War game, and and that's not I guess not really a knock, but it's also kind of like. I know what I expect to win the Oscars and it's not the stuff I like, you know, and I, and I like God of War and I don't expect it to be the type of thing that, that your typical critics, um, give high praise to, I guess. Well, I I think that's what's different about video games in general, um, is that I feel like in a lot of cases, the games that win are the games that are actually pretty good. I mean, most people would rally around them and say, yeah, those are great games. I don't know that there's too much of a indie film versus blockbuster mm-hmm. uh, you know split quite yet i think it might be getting there i think as developer tools become more uh open and in the hands of more people you'll start to see even more games like florence i think before we started uh before we started recording i was talking about how i just downloaded the mobile game florence which um is polygons i think third or fourth best game of 2018 so just to see a mobile game hit that high and a mobile indie game of course hit that high um, it's pretty impressive. So I think probably we'll get there and maybe it'll be the next generation. It'll be the, wh- whichever console can really embrace that sort of Sundance film festival atmosphere will maybe be able to create, a, create for itself a nice little, uh, a nice little niche that people can come to. And that's, that's kind of happening, I guess, already, especially considering there's all these, um, you know, uh, uh, indies and the, the Nintendo indies, the nindies, they call them. There's mm-hmm. all those kinds of things are there. But I don't know if there's a single console yet that has really sort of owned that. And I think PlayStation probably right now is the closest because their focus is so much on single-player story campaigns. Um, and they don't seem to be backing away from that. In fact, we'll talk about that as we get to the news stories. Um, and I think as long as they continue playing into that, they're going to probably continue to be seen as that. But I don't know. We'll talk about that when we get there. But yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. What else have you played other than uh, God of War? It's been a while uh. since we chatted. Yeah, so I played some of Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. I did buy that. I'm not a huge Super Smash Brothers fan. This this game didn't win me over at all, but I knew it was going to be kind of a fun thing to play with my my kids. So I bought that. Um, I've, I've got the. I've heard quite a few people being sort of not not underwhelmed, but just sort of whelmed by Super <laughs> Smash Brothers for all the hype and and all of the fanfare that it got pre-release, being having every Smash Brother in it you know, from all the other games combined. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of just YouTube talk and Twitter talk and and Instagram talk about people just being like, yeah, it, I guess it's it's okay. Yeah, I think there's, I don't know that it's going to be the competitive smash that people want it to be. So that it's, you know, if this really is the ultimate one, you're going to have to pull the competitive players away from, I think Melee is like the, the, the mainstay sort of competitive smash game right now mm-hmm. and, and has been for a while. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily going to take that on. Uh, someone I was talking with at work today actually made a comment that was really interesting. The idea, the fact that you can't, that you have to, that it takes a while to unlock characters and that there's no like tournament patch or something like that means mm. that for tournament play, you have, you're restricted by the character count. And so the, it's, it, you basically have to have a system that someone's already spent, you know, dozens to hundreds of hours in unlocking everything, unless they use an exploit, which there is an exploit right now that exists and hasn't been patched. And 
my friend at, at work, his comment was maybe Nintendo hasn't patched it because they know this is kind of the way to yeah. allow for tournament play. Um, but yeah, it, it's been it's been fairly lukewarm. You're right. Um, I haven't played a Smash since the 64, like the original one, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and so it, there's way too much going on. I'm too old for it. That's probably part of it. But it's it's a fun little game to just you know waste a few minutes on um so yeah i'm i'm much more of a and it probably the same reason my my age and just the fact that it to me it's very very button smashy mm-hmm. um i if for a fighting game i'd much rather play something like street fighter 2 or mortal Kombat. but um yeah I, it's that, too it, chaotic yeah yeah that's a good word for it absolutely there's so much going on that i never know if my button is causing the thing to happen or if it's something else that's causing it, and yeah, and, and Street Fighter Two is just it, any of the Street Fighter games is just much more exact, and I think that's also probably a big uh, a part of partly of that is well, I was gonna say the two D, but I guess Smash Brothers is is essentially two D as well. So yeah, I don't know, um, but I won't play too much of it anymore. I don't think um, I did also play. I got the Spyro Reignited trilogy, and I beat the first Spyro game. Haven't played that since I was a kid, um, and it was tons of fun, man. It was a perfect palate cleanser between Red Dead Redemption 2 and then God of War, which I'm playing right now. Um, And then sort of related to video games, but uh, not video games, is I I read a book called uh, Game Life. It's a memoir by Michael W. Clune, and it is fantastic. Uh, I know the idea of a gaming memoir kind of seems weird, and there are a few of them out there. I've talked about them before, but this is by far the the best one that I've read. Maybe better said, it might be like the most important one I've read because it really does add a creative element to a gaming memoir. And most gaming memoirs are, I grew up with this game and here's the history of it. And it's sort of they're trying to justify or validate the medium itself while also trying to validate their own life (laughs) and trying to validate two things by just pairing them against each other doesn't work. Um, but this one, they're not trying to validate themselves or really validate gaming. They're essentially just looking at games through a completely unique, different lens that's hard to explain. But I did do a video about it if anyone's interested. Super, super, super good game or good uh, a book. And then I'm currently reading a game, a book <laughs> called God, uh, called Game uh, Game Getting Gamers. Sorry, Getting Gamers by Jamie Madigan. It's the perfect. It's literally a, a book about video game psychology, and it's mm. amazing. And the author is really funny. He has a website called Game uh, uh, Psychology of Games, I think it's called, which is sort of a a, a uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of an add-on to the book. It's a supplement to the book. Mm. So check out that website if you're interested. Uh, and if you like those articles on that website, you'll love the book. It's just super funny. Uh, two of the videos I made over the holiday are specifically in response to various chapters I've read in that book. It's just it's my kind of thing, and I'm absolutely loving the hell out of it. So nice. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Yep. And I think you, you finished a game, too. Uh, oh, I finished Red Dead Redemption 2, yes. Um, and it was amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. It was. It's probably could very well be my favorite game of all time. Like, wow. it's that good. It's that good. Um, and, God, I, I talk about people... I talk with people at work about it who are also playing it. And what's so interesting about this game is everyone has a different story about how they got to where they are in the game. Like you might say, oh, I ran into, you know, the incest couple. There's a couple, uh, incest couple, that's, I guess, probably pretty telling of what they are. Um, and you, you'd say that, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm at the part in, in the story where you run into the incest couple, and, blah, and everyone else in the room is like, I, I have, I'm further than you, and I never got that. And so it really is, 
there's so many landmarks that you can miss that aren't necessary but are still cool and add color to the game but at the same time the story remains pretty focused i mean you know exactly where you need to go in order to complete the story it doesn't suffer from your paralyzation by possibilities uh, problems that like say a far cry game does Mm. where you don't really know where to go Mm -hmm. um and even probably to some degree um uh assassin's creed odyssey was probably one of my one of my main knocks on that game was just i wasn't sure where to go and that just could be me not being familiar with the assassin's creed games of course um so it's it, it doesn't have that you always know where to go but you and, and more importantly you always know where you can go if you kind of want to not progress the story and you just want to explore yeah um so yeah it's it's so 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 great i would love to i want to go back and play it as just a jerk because i sort of played the white knight character um, and I would love to go through and just be an angry beast. But uh, it, after beating it, though, I did go back, and I'd never played Red Dead Redemption 1. Uh, I went back, and I'm watching currently a Let's Play from uh, many a true nerd. I've, I've talked about him on the, sh- on the show before. I, I love his Let's Plays. I'm watching his Let's Play of the game so I can kind of see where uh, where the conclusion of Red Dead Redemption 2, which is a, which is a prequel, where that sort of leads into Red Dead Redemption 1. Um, And I'm really glad I hadn't played Red Dead Redemption 1 because I feel like that could have ruined quite a bit of the story for me because there are things that I just didn't know. Like in Red Dead Redemption 2... There's a bad guy, and and but in the Red Dead Redemption or in Red Dead Redemption One, there's a bad guy that I'm learning now, and in Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption Two, he's part of your gang. And had I known he was going to be the bad guy, I probably would have seen things coming earlier, mm. and I wouldn't have, you know, I just, I just wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. I don't mm-hmm. think so. I'm really yep. glad I glad I experienced it this way for sure. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I'll probably get more in the mood to to play Red Dead Redemption Two once I I get back into watching Westworld. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's yep. probably true yeah yeah once you get rid of god of war yep. as well yep yep yeah so you talked about some collections that you had completed mm. yes. uh, or that you're close to you mentioned the nest one specifically that are not close i guess but you have quite a ways to go but you're still much further along than a lot of people what other stuff have you picked up over this very very long holiday where you had nothing to do but shop well, I I did complete a set. I completed the original Xbox North American Library. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. That was a 2018 was the year of Xbox for me. Uh, <laughs> I am primarily, in terms of the PlayStation versus Xbox dichotomy, I am sort of I am definitely in the PlayStation camp. Um, multi-plats I get on PlayStation. I prefer the PlayStation exclusives, always have. I prefer single-player to Xbox's niche with the multiplayer. But um, for long-time listeners, you'll remember that I got a sweet deal on a huge Xbox Mm -hmm. collection to start the year and then ended up uh, capping the year by by finishing off the set. So that's my, my 12th complete library. Um, the final game that I got was the real world golf bundle, which is, um, it's basically a game and controller bundle that is like, if you've ever been to, um, like bars where they have like the golf simulator Mm, or like golf sporting goods stores where they have the golf simulator, it's effectively that for the Xbox, um, comes with like a, a golf club and a, a device that goes under your hand that detects your hands, your hand swinging motion. Um, and so it turns, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a kind of a Wii type game for the for the Xbox. 
so that was the last uh, the last game I needed, the last game I, I picked up. Uh, I still am chipping away at completing all of the Platinum hits, and, and there's a couple of other cover variants that exist in the Xbox library. Um, so just going through and completing out the variants, but the, the actual set, all of the Black Label stuff, all of the uh, games that were only released as Platinum hits and so forth, that's all all done. And you, when you say complete, you do mean in box or in case in this case, right? Oh yeah, it's all everything yeah. is either sealed. There's a couple of games that I have that are sealed, but um, like the that Real World Golf, that's a, a sealed bundle. Just because it, I got that sealed because it doesn't really, it's not designed to stay together. It doesn't come in like a collector's box or anything. It's just like a slip cover that goes over all this garbage. Mm. Um, but everything else is uh, complete in box uh, and you know, in. in at least I would say bare minimum seven out of 10 and up kind of anal about the condition, obviously. Um, mm. So yeah, that's uh, nice. got that, got that done. So that really completing that is really sort of what pushed me over the size capacity in my, <laughs> my game library um, going into the year, you know, I had everything kind of, organized in that game library everything was sort of grouped in uh brand areas one wall was sony and one wall was nintendo and one wall was sega and uh then microsoft came in and just sort of nuked the whole thing um which prompted it and another thing that prompted it was just and i mentioned this before going toward the nintendo set uh you know i spent now a little over a year and a half being taunted by caleb j ross about what? how i only only collect obscure crap like the 3do the odyssey 2 the hyperscan the jaguar <laughs> you're um, an idiot for letting that guy <laughs> talk you into that <laughs> Yeah, so, but honestly, it's it's been fun getting back into collecting for the NES. Um, I, I think I, I mentioned this before in a, a previous episode long ago that I had really started getting back into collecting video games. You know, this was 15, 20 years ago now by collecting for the NES and, and going through and trying to complete that and got to about uh, 300 games probably and then just kind of petered out and and wasn't really that i was burned out on it or anything it was just i was exploring other things and diving into game systems that i didn't have as as a kid gate systems that um were things that i wanted like the 3do and um you know stuff that was like out of way out of my price range neo geo things like that and um you know just dabbling in kind of what I always thought were the obscure titles that you would see in the back of video game magazines and never knew anybody that had. Um, but now it's been fun to get back into the NES and play some of the games that I never played. Now I haven't completely skewed the obscure because I did <laughs> uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I picked up a tiger game.com system. And if that's not the most nineties, yeah. <laughs> video game system name ever. I don't know what is. So is it officially pronounced with the dot? Because I've heard Tiger Gamecom. I've always called it the game.com. Okay. I'll trust you because you obviously know more about this stuff than me. So uh, Well, uh, I had never held one, never seen one in person. I only bought it because it was like I was sifting through just ending auctions on eBay and it was dirt cheap. So I bought it. 
and then I realized, well, I should probably look and see like what games there are for this thing. And it turns out there were only ever 20 games released for it. And one of those mm. games is the system pack-in. So I've been churning through that set pretty quickly. I'm down to just six more for that. And I'll have that complete little baby set. Are those tough to find expensive? Not really. No, I honestly, you can find almost all of them brand new, still sealed because nobody bought the thing. Um, (laughs) So they were, I mean, the, the system, really the games themselves and the systems weren't expensive at retail. Um, I think the, the game console was like 50 bucks and new games were released at like a, a 15 ish dollar price point, 15 to $20. So they were, it it was almost like a budget system to begin with. Um, and then when they were clearanced out, it was, you know, 99 cents, $2 a, a game. Um, there are a couple that are harder to find. It appears, I'm still kind of researching and and getting into learning about if they were late releases or I think most of the games there was a a good chunk of that library was released along with the the system and then uh I think a year in the game the game life cycle or the the system life cycle didn't last all that long obviously but it did last long enough for Tiger to release a hard hardware modification so uh, they released the original Gamecom, and then they released like a, a modified version that made it a smaller footprint and and changed the the color palette on the the actual screen. Um, and that that subsequent one, I think, was basically released right before they just punted the whole thing and clearance hmm. that out. So those are those tend to go for you know, a couple of hundred bucks. All in all, the the set is pretty pretty hard to find or pretty easy to find. You can go on eBay right now and probably pick up three quarters of the set for ten bucks a piece, brand new sealed. Nice. The only downside of them is they come in these like plastic clamshells that are are designed to be, they're like blister packs, I guess is what you would call them. Oh. You know, so they're designed to hang on the the store like peg shelving. So that's kind of a pain in the butt because there's no real good way to sit those on a shelf. Yeah, that's a pain in the butt. Oh well, you probably have wall space you need to fill, right? That's true. I do sure, have I sure. do have wall space. I do have wall space. I have more because I'm also redoing the way my controllers are stored. Hmm. Do tell. Yeah. So, I saw a video uh, on YouTube's from Discart Guy. He's uh, one of the newer. I guess. I guess I don't know if he's a Cartridge Club member or or not, but he, he's. Um, been posting just a ton of videos on, uh, I think you've mentioned his, his mm-hmm. channel before on the, on the podcast. Where, I've had a guest appearance on his channel before. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of thought mm-hmm. you did. I mm-hmm. kind of thought you did. Yeah. I'm famous. Yeah. Very, very famous. Yeah. You're people who knows people. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> so he had a video a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was, about a product that he found called the Fang Game Controller Tower. And it just looked like a really great way to to store and display and get easy access to to controllers. It's basically like it was a good timing for the video because the the stand itself sort of looks like a Christmas tree. It's got this uh, you know kind of 
cone-like shape and it, it rotates on the base so that you can put it in a corner and still get easy access to every controller that's on it. It holds 16 standard controllers, four Wiimotes, four nunchucks, and then a, a headset on top like the angel, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, or star on top of the Christmas tree. And he sells it just directly on on his we, on his Etsy website, not Discart guy, but the the guy that that makes these uh, Fang multimedia accessories. So uh, if you're interested, go check it out. They are a little bit expensive, um, and I haven't got I haven't received it yet, so I can't really speak to the quality. Uh, Discart guy really said he was impressed by the quality, so uh, it'll be interesting to see. Right now, my controllers are all stored in like uh, kind of one of those cube ikea cube type Mm, shelving mm -hmm. things with the little cloth bins and i keep everything in there in like ziploc bags and it's just kind of a pain in the butt to sift through all those and find controllers so this uh this will at least have a way for them to be out and accessible and and easy to just grab when people come over does the christmas tree charge any of them it doesn't. That's that's really one of the downsides. Um, I think what I'm primarily going to use this for is all of the corded retro controllers. Ah, yeah, yeah. So that way I'll keep. I have like charging, you know, charging stands for most of like PlayStation Three, PlayStation Four, Wii, Xbox, things like that. So this will just be a way. And it looks like they have a nice way to kind of tuck the control the cable back behind the controller on the stand so interested to get it and build it and play around with it and maybe i'll give my thoughts on it next episode yeah definitely but then the the coup de gras (laughs) of my holiday shopping season was um one of the complete sets that i have is the the wii u but I've been working on. There's a few variants that, a uh, few variants and like collector's edition type things that I had still needed, f- that were not really, I guess, needed to complete the quote unquote library. But if you're going for everything released for the Wii U, they'd be part of the set. Um, Nintendo's New York store released two game uh, limited edition boxes for the Wii U and they were sold exclusively at the the Rockefeller Plaza store in New York City. Uh, one of them was Mario 8, which I got, I believe, last January. And then the other one was Hyrule Warriors. And so I was able to snag just a super, super mint, crisp, brand new copy of that. Um, got a great deal on it from a, a fellow collector. Uh, who knew that I needed it for the set and uh, had gotten the Mario one earlier this year. So um, thank you to him for for hooking me up. Uh, These things were super rare. They only had... the, The print run on them is not really known. Nintendo didn't release the actual print runs. But uh, it's rumored to be somewhere between 350 and 600 copies of of each of these limited editions. And when they launched, they basically had people lined up all the way down the block. I think one estimate that I read of the launch of Hyrule Warriors specifically said that there was like 800 people in line outside the, the Nintendo New York store that morning. And then they only had like 350 of them. So... It, would, wow. it got it got a little rowdy, I guess. Oh man! <laughs> Imagine being three hundred and fifty-one. Yeah, 
And I think to make things even worse, I think from what I understand, they gave out like little coupons, you know, like kind of on Black Friday where a doorbuster, they'll give the first six people in line the the token to say, oh, hey, okay, you get the, the cheap TV, right? So that way it's not like a mad rush. And apparently they had miscounted the tokens and gave a bunch of people tokens that they, they ran out of the, the, the actual games for. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) What a, what a, what a kick in the Jimmy that would be. That sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. So that's the, that's the highlight of my, my holiday, my holiday pickups list. What about you? Awesome. I know I know you're not a collector, but everything that I see on the Instagram and the Twitters tells me differently. <laughs> not a game collector, that's for sure, but I think I have finally admitted that there are a couple video game theme things that I like to yeah. accumulate. Um, so well and I've talked give a little in, bit the, give in to your hate. <laughs> I've talked in the past about just I see I find it fun to collect the things that aren't traditionally, I guess, collectible because uh, you tend to find them cheaper because no one cares. Um, and I, I don't know. I like accumulations of things. So, for example, like the uh, video game themed alcohols and beers and things like that. So um, while I won't go out of my way to find them when I see them, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll pick that up. Um, so I did uh, recently um, buy a, a shadow box display because I do have a collection of the of video game coins. Uh, essentially just like uh, challenge coins if if you're familiar with that military tradition of challenge coins Mm -hmm. Uh, these are coins that you can generally only get on military bases so you'll if you if you live on a military base and you buy a game they'll often give you one of these challenge coins with it and they're really nice generally speaking they're really really nice quality heavy duty coins usually about the size of a of a silver dollar or something like that um and uh and so i at one point i found a bunch of these for you know a few dollars a piece and i was like oh those are kind of cool and so since then i've been keeping my eye out for them and if i find them at a reasonable price or something like that i'll just kind of grab a couple of them um and that's that collection has been accumulating and now it stands at about probably i just turned away to look and that's why my voice went weird um probably like 30 or so and so I, i bought just a display case to hang on the wall and it's looking good and i also have in there um, I also have have accumulated over the years various arcade tokens. So when I go to an arcade, I'll just keep one of the tokens because generally speaking, they usually have like the name of the arcade printed on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're pretty much just daring you to steal them. Uh, so I do have a couple of those, uh, or I have a, quite a few of those that I put in there as well. And so as I get new proper challenge coins, I'll probably kind of replace those out. I also I was wondering. In- I saw the picture that you posted on I, it probably either Twitter or Instagram. And I was wondering what the smaller ones were. So that that's yep. where those are the arcade tokens. Yep. Those are the arcade nice. tokens. Um, there's also some, uh, some Skyrim coins that were like given out at packs or something like that, that are about the same size. So those are kind of mixed in there. Um, and there's a few other coin types, not all of them are challenge coins. So there's also like, I think um, uh, what's the game, the RPG that came out this year that everyone loved on the switch Octopath Traveler. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the collector's edition of that came with a coin yep. because I ended up buying the coin separately off of eBay or something for like five bucks or something like that. So, um, so I do have that. It doesn't say Octopath Traveler or anything on like that. So I, that's where I think it's from if I remember correctly, but, nice. um, so yeah, there's a, there's a do few you, others. Do you have yeah. the, the Mario Odyssey coin that was a pre-order from, I think Best Buy. I do have that. I have that. Um, I have the, uh, Legend of Zelda one also that uh, was part of I don't know if it was a pre-order or not. I did not pre-order either of those two games. I pre-ordered Legend of Zelda, but I didn't pre-order like the collector's edition or whatever. Mm. Um, but I do have the Mario uh, or the uh, uh, 
the uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. It had a pre-order coin as well. Um, and there's a few from uh, from uh, Signature Edition games, too. They've been starting mm-hmm. packaging coins in there as well, and I found a couple of those. that You could order those directly from the site afterwards. They had an extra overstock, so it was, I think it was like 3 bucks a piece for those, so I got a few of those. Um, but, yeah, it's just kind of a fun thing. Uh, the military ones are pretty cool because they actually do have – uh, you know, military slogans and, and, and I'm not a, I mean, I'm, I don't have no connection to the military at all, but I just kind of like the idea that there's something unique. Um, not surprisingly, a lot of the Bethesda games, almost all of those games have military coins associated with them. Bethesda being in Maryland, their big military base out there, um, in Annapolis, I believe is, is mm, where it is. Yep. So. So, um, so that does, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's really kind of, it's, it's just one of those things. So that's I got, cool. I, I guess when I saw the pictures, I assumed that they were all coins from just collector's editions or pre-orders or things like that. I didn't realize that they, there was actually a, a military component to it with the challenge coin. I thought you were just using that as a, uh, you know, like they're the same size as challenge coins oh, yeah, for the yeah, military. Yeah. <laughs> no, I should actually take reverse pictures of them because on the back is where you see all like the cool detail and everything. So maybe I'll maybe I'll take another picture of them, uh, a few of them up close, so you can see kind of the the back detail. But yeah, that'd be nice to see. It's really cool. Um, and so the only other pickups I have, I mean, I obviously didn't pick up a freaking awesome Hyrule Warriors Wii U thing from from freaking New York. Uh, Comes with a scarf, dude. And, <laughs> dang it! Well, that's <laughs> of all that... the lame collectors editions. <laughs> literally, all it is is the game and a scarf in a box. <laughs> it's a very nice scarf. <laughs> it better be. <laughs> um, no, the only other things I did uh, in terms of uh, the other thing I did in terms of display. It's kind of a display theme, I guess. You got your massive shelves earlier in the episode. I got the the coin display. Um, I also simply extended my cigar box shelving. So um, people may have known, I think I talked about it on a previous episode. I can't remember, but uh, I find that empty wooden cigar boxes make perfect shelving for trinkets and things like that. But also if you break off one of the sides, they make great video game shelving. So um, instead of sort of ripping out the wall and, and so my, my shelving setup is pretty cumbersome and unique and unique in that I'm, I have PVC pipes that I painted green to look like Mario pipes and I have all the cords running through those. So the cords are completely hidden away and the uh, the the actual consoles come out like on little platforms. Um, this makes it very difficult to add new shelves um, or add new <laughs> consoles or anything like that. So uh, instead what I'm doing is just kind of filling those sporadic spaces with uh, basically by just Velcroing um, uh, cigar boxes to the walls. And so, so far it seems to be working really, really well. Um, and yeah, I should be just fine as a non video game collector. I should be just fine for, uh, quite a while to come. I have plenty of space now. So nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, geez, that was like an hour of the show. Just talking about all the cool stuff that we got and all the, yeah. uh, the things that we've done. Um, but it has been a few weeks, uh, since it we has. recorded an episode. So that makes and, sense. And we did sprinkle some, some stories and whatnot throughout, but, and I think a lot of our, our current events, I mean, it's, it's the holidays. There's not a lot going on in the news. Um, you know, a lot of our stories are just kind of, um, they're like the fluff pieces that you see on your local news, like cat stuck in tree fire department comes and saves the cat and barbecues with uh <laughs> with local lemonade stand children yeah. film at 11 <laughs> my favorite is when they had to abbreviate the headline to just cat stuck in tree firemen come <laughs> because you know that's why they get into the whole firefighting business they just it wait is. for the one time they see a sexy cat trapped in a tree oh man and then it's <laughs> sirens and cherries and berries yeah. and 
Uh, ladders and, and hoses. <laughs> and it's and it's firemen, not fireman. So that's right. All uh, many firemen somehow came to the occupation because they had a cat erection that they needed to get solved. I mean, you you can't just put the ladder against the tree yourself. You got this OSHA rules stipulate. You got to have at least three firemen holding the ladder. That's right. <laughs> they all want the best angle of the cat anus. So yep. Yep. But get... they, you know, but at least they show up to help. That's true. And speaking of showing up to help, uh, a, a professional uh, uh, public servants showing up to, to offer some help. Uh, this leads into our first current-ish event. It really uh, took you a long time to get my, my whole fireman <laughs> comment into the lead-in to this story. It was much more important to talk about cat anuses. <laughs> oh, that's pretty much a rule. Uh, you'll, do me the, you'll do me the favor of remembering that, Scott. You know, uh, when you were talking about extending your cigar box, I was, <laughs> I was really, really, like, holding it back. Holding it back. It was really hard for me not to, when I was talking about the Jackbox party pack earlier, not to make a comment about Jackbox being the nickname I gave my wife. But I didn't say that. I didn't say that is the nope. important thing. That's good. That's yeah, good. That would good be good that I that, didn't. That would be crude, crass. We're a family show. We are right. a family show. That's right. So the first current-ish event, uh, police officers, cops respond to a noise complaint and they end up playing Super Smash Brothers. This is delightful. This was posted at the New York Post. Um, so essentially, police in Minnesota responded to a noise complaint. Um, when they arrived, the officer asked one of the tenants, uh, or one of the friends of the tenants, Jovante uh, Williams, I think is his name, Jovante Williams, um, what game they were playing. Basically, they showed up, there's a complaint, they opened the door. Hey, the, instead of the cops saying, shut the hell up, they're saying, hey, what game are you playing? Um, and Williams and Williams said they were playing Smash and asked, "Hey, do you want to play?" Just out, off a cuff, and the cops, as as Williams says, literally raised their hands and walked up. Um, and so the cops, uh, they knew how to play apparently, but they were kind of just joking around, saying, "Oh, how do you jump? How how do you do this?" And it was kind of a fun thing. They were laughing back and forth, and at the end of it, uh, Williams, the tenant, said, "You know, you see so many videos of just terrible things happening to." Uh, people by police officers, things like that. He said, quote, I'm not trying to end up in jail or hurt or have my friends harmed or start commotion, but you know what? I heard the police asking what's Smash Brothers, and instead of something negative, it turned out to be something wholesome. So the cops joined in, played some Smash Brothers with them, and I thought that was just a really, really cool story. Uh, and I just loved it. So um, it's good to see coverage of police getting involved positively. I know uh, police are always trying to uh, give themselves, put themselves in better light in the public and uh, amid so much bad news involving police in 2018. I thought that was a fantastic way to end uh, 2018. So, yeah, absolutely. It's a great, uh, great capper for uh, a lot of terrible news. And yeah. I mean, in the New York Post, no less. Yes, like, exactly. Oh, the, uh... <laughs> which is kind of shocking, you know? I mean, I always think of New York Post as being like one step away from uh, like Alien Ate My Baby. And, yeah. <laughs> like I'm I'm literally looking at the article right now. The cops respond to noise complaint article. And directly next to the headline is the trending now on the New York Post banner along the side. And the, the number one is pictures of these two very buxom, scantily clad women. And the headline is world's most identical twins want to have babies with shared boyfriend. <laughs> Yeah, that's what they do. And then two below that is girl born with twins inside her stomach has dead sibling <laughs> removed. 
So I don't know if there's if there's something with twins there. It's weird. Or you could even look at this as as a completely horrible way and say to the New York Post, who has a history of this uh, sort of grandiose uh, headlines. Is this a crazy, crazy thing that they're like, can you believe cops showed up and were brave enough to (laughs) (laughs) to walk into the house of these two black gentlemen? Can you believe it? It could be be that bad. So uh, I hope not. Yeah, uh, no. I would I, love I, to... Let's take let's take the story in the way you took it. It's great. <laughs> it's uh... yeah. I would love to see this sort of play out, and I would love to see sort of uh, smash tournaments of like police officers and citizens on the same team, sort of teaming up against other police officers, citizens, or even the firefighters versus police officers kind of smash tournaments with citizens participating on both sides. I think that'd be kind of cool. That would go a long way to I think really help uh, help it better the image of police officers but, yeah uh, absolutely one yeah. thing i didn't just notice now as i'm rereading this article or re-skimming it the the young man jovante williams says he's a dancer based in minneapolis i wow what 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 sort of dancing gigs do you suppose there are in minneapolis in december um he's got them all locked down whatever they have the market cornered i <laughs> have got to think. it I yeah, to think. I suppose I that's know. probably why he was at home playing Smash Brothers because yeah, it's probably, that's a good point. Uh, probably that's a down a... market, unless he's like an ice skater dancer, like the ice capades or something. Yeah, and actually, what's what's cool about this too is uh, this story came out shortly after Smash Brothers was released, or at least it was uh, still a very new game. Mm-hmm. So the police officers, knowing that, that they knew how to play Smash, they probably hadn't played this Smash yet. So they were probably genuinely like, holy crap, that's the new Smash Brothers. So, like, they probably really were fans to some degree. Uh, just, you know, I thought that's kind of interesting. It made me, would they would they act the same way if they were playing some other game? Uh, I don't know, like Virtual Cop. Yeah. <laughs> and well, and it's, it's, it's a good thing that, that Javante and his friends were playing a multiplayer game when they walked in and not just a single player game. You know, who who knows what would have happened? Could have been a bloodbath. <laughs> it wouldn't have been on the Switch. It would have been on uh, probably a Sony console yeah, because uh, as they've recently reconfirmed or confirmed is probably a harsh way of, or a very definitive way of saying it. But uh, there is a story from uh, comicbook.com uh where uh, the MCV UK magazine have no idea what that stands for. I should probably have looked that up, but I'm not going to. They recently conducted an interview with the vice president managing editor for the UK, IE and Australia uh, division, I guess at Sony interactive Europe. His name is Warwick light, which is the coolest name. He acknowledged that players want single player campaigns and Sony aims to deliver his uh, exact quote. While 2018 was indisputably a big fan for, for a big year for Fortnite, it was also a year which saw us really act like a publisher and focus on our exclusive titles. Whether it was God of War, Spider-Man, Detroit, of course, he has to name all of the <laughs> games that he's associated with. Uh, buzzwords are one thing; what our players are demanding is another. There's still a huge audience for games that offer the best in single-player narrative with stunning gameplay, as witnessed by the enormous popularity of again series of games that are unique to our console. Um, he was just at the gold. I was just at the Golden Joysticks Award. God of War won five of them. So, very much uh, declaring that Sony is all about single player games, which of course for the two of us is fantastic. Um, and I, it got me thinking about this a little bit because I, I, I am often at odds with the various narratives that are out there. The narratives that multiplayer games are what sell, but 
single player games are what people generally want, right? The same thing with like loot boxes. Ah, we hate loot boxes, but they're making a bajillion dollars. So of course, Mm -hmm. publishers with shareholders, that's a business decision to keep them in there because they need to make a profit. And so I'm always thinking like, what is it? Why is it that Sony would say, no, 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 single player, that's the way to go. And what I arrived at, I think, is that Sony only really cares about selling consoles. They don't care about if third-party games sell necessarily. They sell care about selling consoles. And the old adage is that exclusives sell consoles. Um, a multiplayer exclusive, I feel, might be too limiting because it's basically you not only have to count on you know, multiple people being interested in this particular game, but they all have to kind of be on the same console. So in, in some way, maybe you're limiting your audience further. So I, my thinking is that to sell consoles, you really need single player exclusive. That's how you're going to sell consoles. And this feels obvious, but at the same time, it, it it should it probably isn't obvious because otherwise Microsoft would have done that a long time ago. Or maybe it just took until now for them to realize, oh yeah, this is probably what it is. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this whole thing? Yeah, I... I think it's a really interesting take on the the multiplayer component that you need sort of that mass uh, cross console mass in order to to reach a critical mass where there's plenty of um, plenty of money in it, plenty of players, plenty of of action going on. Um, you think about like the big Microsoft multiplayer games that aren't more like the the small scale, more co y type games like. Uh, um, uh, Gears of War type things, but when I think of like Halo, I, I would say that it was it definitely had its heyday in the original Xbox and probably the even the Xbox 360 back bef- when when that was really the only console that had online component, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So they they wouldn't gain any scale by if Bungie would have not been uh, tied to Microsoft right from the get go if they'd have gone and and been. Uh, Halo on the Xbox and Halo on the PlayStation and Halo on the was it GameCube at that uh, era? Yeah, I yeah. Think so. You know, you there wouldn't have been any benefit to adding GameCube and and PlayStation support because you you wouldn't have scaled up the servers at all because of just the lack of online functionality. But it's it's interesting that they've they that Microsoft has continued to really tie themselves to the multiplayer experience and in, in such a, ju- uh, a juxtaposition against Sony. Personally, I, I said earlier in this episode that I'm, I'm make no bones about being a Sony guy first and foremost in, you know, really since, since the PlayStation came out the, the very first PlayStation, I like the single player experiences that they've always kind of hung their hat on or even just the the same screen co-op experiences that I sort of equate to a single player game. And they've they've just always done a good job of catering to that. And I think it's it's kind of them sticking to their bread and butter. Uh, You know, there's memes out there that show random titled uh, third person action adventure single player game by Sony, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that's their bread and butter, and and Sony is known for sticking with what works for them. You, they yes, they want to sell consoles, but I think even more so, they want to sell their first person software because that's really where they can make their money. They have to sell the consoles in order to be able to do that, right? The the more consoles they sell, the the larger um, scope of potential they have to sell their their first person uh, software titles, obviously, but. I think the story driven stuff it I, I think it's 
too often folks think that the multiplayer games are what people want to play immediately and and have to have that day one purchase that they can play with their friends. But I think that the single player story driven stuff also has an aspect of that. It's got that kind of water cooler component now where you you can, you can sit around and not watch game of Thrones until the end of the season. So you don't have to wait from week to week to watch every episode, but then you miss out on sort of that social aspect of discussing it at the office and being able to, to talk to your friends about it. And I think that, uh, as gaming has become more ubiquitous and we're, we're going to touch on the, the game awards later on in the episode, but gaming itself has just become such a large part of culture and pop culture that being able to discuss the games that have come out, um, they're just more relevant early on. So I think that you, you don't really lose anything from a day one purchase perspective by going down the, the single player road. That's a good point. I never really thought of that, but it's absolutely true. I mean, if you think about trying to, let's say you're playing God of War with someone, or you're playing God of War day one, you go to the office the next day, talk through it, you you it's it's immediately more you connect immediately more when you start describing the sense of what that game feels like and the sense of where you were in the story if i start talking about a certain character you're now all of a the sudden there's all of this context associated with that character that you're now able to impart in that story so even if i'm a terrible storyteller if i just mention the name of you know mamir was one of the guys that i mentioned earlier had you been at that part me just saying Mamir, you'd be like, oh, yeah, and, and you sort of, there's this whole world that's immediately comes to mind because of all these connecting pieces of context. Mm-hmm. Whereas with a multiplayer, you could mention a character's name, but really backstory is generally very, very superficial if there is any there. Really, the only thing you can say is, yeah, I shot him and he died. That was cool. Like, there's not a lot of meat there, and so there's no way to connect as a human being necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the multi multiplayer games are more about being in the moment, I think. You know, it's it's entertainment that is that is cool while you're in that moment and only in that moment, right? Otherwise it's you get to a you get to work afterwards and you start talking about it and it's like, you know, oh, it's like this guy's talking about his fantasy football team. Wonderful. <laughs> the only guy that cares about his fantasy football team is that guy, right? <laughs> yeah. Or when people start describing their dreams, it's like, yeah, I, I, I can't connect with that because the things you're talking about, I don't have that emotional connection to them mm-hmm. in the way that you do. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, uh, so I don't know how to segue this. I guess. Um, let's see. We talked about uh, God of War. Mm-hmm. Um, which mm-hmm. is violent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the worst segue ever, but I'm running with it. Uh, <laughs> so there's got to be some benefit to the single-player ultra-violent campaigns. Uh, notice how I added ultra-violent to single-player as though ultra-violence only applies to single-player. It doesn't, but that's what we're running with. After we just talked about the multiplayer guy <laughs> talking about, yeah, I killed that <laughs> yeah, guy. Yep. I killed that guy. Oh, but he killed him in a very humane, non-violent way, right? Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Almost but, like a Sarah McLachlan ad. Yeah, exactly. There's lots of crying puppies in all of my video games. Those Do are my favorite. you remember me? <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to cry. Uh, so there is a story uh, that I think is super interesting. Uh, I read it on medicalexpress.com, which sounds like a horribly made-up, terrible domain. I'm not 
familiar with it other than this story. Thank you, uh, Medical Express. I owe my life to it. <laughs> the catheters from Medical Express are the best catheters. Uh, Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Uh, <coughs> oh. So, this one. Uh, so, the story is, a headline is, Video Game Players Frequently Exposed to Graphic Content May See the World Differently. Uh, and of course, this should that headline alone should not really surprise people. There's been plenty of studies about violence in video games and how they how they negatively affect or how they may negatively affect pe players. Um, but this story was a little bit unique and had a little bit of a different angle to it. So people who uh, frequently play violent video games are more immune to disturbing images than non-players. A UNSW University of South New of New South Wales led study into the phenomenon of emotion-induced blindness has shown. Emotion-induced blindness, first time I'd heard this term, but I, I enjoy it. Um, it's essentially, uh, it occurs when a person's emotions impact their perception of the world, uh, says the study author and cognitive psychologist, Dr. Steve Most from UNSW. Um, so he says, quote, we found a high degree of violent video game playing was accompanied by less sensitivity to emotional images. So players were able to perceive their perception of other things around them. Um, I think I left off a little bit of that quote, but essentially what it's getting down to is that, uh, you, as you're being exposed to violent images, you can more easily look past, uh, more violent images. And while that may seem as though you're being desensitized, what the study said uh, was what the study wanted to investigate next based off of these findings. The team wanted to investigate the prevalence of emotion induced blindness in emergency first responders to see if other groups of people frequently exposed to graphic imagery might react similarly, meaning that is a being uh, being um, uh, shown graphic images, being desensitized to graphic images. Does that actually allow emergency first responders to uh, perform better in those situations because they're not emotionally affected by all the trauma that's going around them. They can sort of focus on the task at hand and not really worry about it. Um, that's probably a very niche, very uh, case-specific uh, case um, use for this information or for this knowledge about being desensitized to violent imagery, um, but one that I had never really heard talked about before or read about being uh, before, so I thought it was interest interesting to um, you know, to, to bring it up, um, as you know, just cause I'm interested in it. So I don't think it's all that niche. I mean, you think of a lot of the rapid response type careers that you want to, you want to have people that aren't overreacting, that are staying calm, that are staying uh, level headed. Yeah. I think you mentioned the first responders. I could, you could think surgeons, you could think military police, uh, firefighters, you know, anybody that deals with a, a traumatic career, um, I think could benefit from that. I, and I think the, one of the questions that, that you posed in, in our, our word doc preparing for this was, is, does this have an evolutionary component? You know, are there benefits to emotion induced blindness where it, it's something that it's it's innate in us by design in the fact that it's supposed to aid us through the attack from the saber toothed tiger and so that we can actually fend it off and not just cower and get eaten. Yeah, if you see your you see your baby cub getting eaten by a saber toothed tiger, you uh, probably don't just want to sit there and cry. And though and I think the the possible argument might be the fight or flight reflex takes over. So is there a component of this emotional blindness that is fight or flight? Um, you know, being in those situations to escape. It doesn't necessarily require that you have a desensitization to uh, violent imagery, 
but could that desensitization help you? Um, I would love to see the sort of uh, the sort of you know experiment. I don't know how you would experiment with this in order to like you know is it fight or flight or is it emotional desensitivity? Uh, I I guess just throw a baby in a vat of saber tooth tigers and see what the mom does. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a and a great experiment would be. We round up a bunch of social justice warriors and force them to play video games. <laughs> and the oh. world is a better place. Oh, I oh. like round up. Uh, when you round up a group of people for their beliefs, <laughs> that's always been positive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know me. <laughs> Mr. Politically Correct over here. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of warnings that people should heed. Uh, is what I'm taking from that. Yeah, uh, Nintendo's provided a warning for us. If you want to give us they that sure little have. tidbit, they sure have. So I mean, everybody lauded Nintendo for the fact that they produced the appropriate amount of SNES classics. I think even at launch, you could go and basically find them pretty pretty easily at, at most retailers. Uh, and then they rolled out another several waves of the NAS Classic to the point where if you want an SNES Classic or an NES Classic, you should be able to find one uh, in the wild. And now is your warning because Reggie announced that after the the allotment of NES classics and SNES classics that's in the Americas here for the holidays, once those are gone, they will be gone for good. There's no more production coming. They are moving on. The SNES and SNES classic, uh, once they're gone, they're gone. So uh, get out there, grab them if you want them, smoke them if you got them. <laughs> yep. And uh, do you think that's paving the way for anything? I know there's been, at least I think there has been comment from Nintendo that they're not interested in making mm-hmm. a Nintendo 64 classic. Do you think that's actually possibly going to happen and they're just going to, I don't know. I, I really I, don't. I, I, I always thought the idea of an N64 classic was far-fetched um, for a couple of reasons. And most of them are... They're they're financial as well as rights based. So, Nintendo sixty four classic. A lot of the games that are iconic about the the system are games that were sort of the they took advantage of the four player capability. Right, you've got Goldeneye, you've got uh, Mario Kart, you got Smash Brothers, you got Mario Party. I mean, Zelda and Mario 64 notwithstanding, almost everything else on the system is a like a an early party game, really, in, for all intents and purposes. So in order for them to really make a Nintendo 64 classic, they'd have to almost do four controllers with it. Or at least make controllers available separately, and that was a disaster on the NES Classic. And the Nintendo 64 controller is more expensive to make because of the the analog stick than just a, a SNES controller or a, a NES controller, which is basically just a circuit board and some plastic. Um, that's that's number one. Number two is the fact that a lot of the iconic games for the N64 are games that Nintendo wouldn't have the rights to include. All of the Rare stuff, basically. Mm-hmm. Rare is now owned by Microsoft, and odds are they wouldn't be willing to bend over backwards to help Nintendo sell some some hardware. 
Um, so I just don't think Nintendo 64 Classic was ever really all that uh, realistic a proposition. If they did release it, I think it would have been hugely disappointing for a lot of people because of the lack of of some of the most iconic games on, on the system. You look at the the NES Classic and the SNES Classic library, especially the NES Classic library, it's a really great sampling of some some of the classics. You know, it's not there are games that you think, oh, it would have been cool if they had this, but there you don't look at those the libraries on them and think, man, they this was the most popular Nintendo release that they had, and they didn't include it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, that all makes logical sense. Um, I was wondering too if there was a component of it's just not old enough yet. Uh, like, you know, but I guess that probably wouldn't really be the case. I think 64 came out when I was in high school or something, and I'm of buying age to have nostalgia for things. So, yeah, that probably wouldn't be it. So, all right, get them if you can. I've still seen both of them at my targets as most as recently as as two days ago. So they're still out there. Yeah. I do not have either one of them. I just uh, and it didn't they didn't get they didn't interest me the way that they did other people. So I mean, I I really what I really like about them is they're very cool for like just as an emulator box. You know, we when we were in Chicago, Mm -hmm. we 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 just hung out in in one of the hotel rooms and we were we had a, a hacked SNES classic and we were just playing all kinds of stuff. And it's it's nice that it's easy. It's plug and play. It just you plug it in and it works. There's no screwing around with an interface and a skin like you have to do with the retro pie that can be kind of just stuff that you have to deal with. With this, it was just boop, you plug it in, you're good to go. And, and uh, you pick a game and it loads up. You know, it's it just is very idiot proof. Mm-hmm. which is cool to just have one and toss it in a backpack or, you know, a carry on and have for using on the road. That's, that's kind of, if I ever open any of mine, that's what I would use them for. So you're saying that if <laughs> that just registered with me, what you said, <laughs> uh, what I like about them is how easy they are to play. Now, if I played them, I could actually <laughs> confirm that statement. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going purely off of the uh, the, the the Chicago Cartridge Club yeah. convention. You were like, "Wow, this thing is really cool. I wish I had one that wasn't indes- surrounded by indestructible cardboard." <laughs> oh, God, and a plastic protector outside yeah. of that indestructible cardboard. <laughs> oh, I love it. So, would you say that if there was if there was an award maybe given to the most uh, idiot proof of all consoles? that this particular console, these NES Classic and SNES Classic, would win that award? And if there was an award, should that award be part of, say, uh, the Game Awards, which seem to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger? Bigger and bigger and bigger. It's astounding how many views this thing got. (laughs) Yeah. 26.2 million total streams, which is an increase of 128% um, versus the previous year. Yeah, it's it's astounding. And I mean, what was it? Must have been about 10 million last year. Not that that's a small number, but 26.2 million is it's that's crazy. I mean, what did the what did the what did the Oscars have? <laughs> I I can't imagine too many more than that, right? <laughs> I mean, they do, but I work in TV and TV ratings are effectively talked about like uh you know if a if a if a 
TV show does really well, it might get like a, a four or a six rating, uh, like the Nielsen ratings. Mm-hmm. And what that means, that number is actually a share of TV households that are, are watching that that program on the on its you know initial live run. So there's about just rough numbers, about a hundred million. TV households in the United States. So something that does really well from just a a weekly television show perspective gets 4 million viewers, 6 million viewers. Like the Super Bowl, when it does massive ratings, gets like 30 million viewers. So mm-hmm. when you put that in perspective and think that the Game Awards got 26.2 million total streams... That's pretty damn impressive. And now total streams, I'm sure I'm not sure how they're measuring that. Right. I don't know if that means in a given window, like a lot of Nielsen ratings are are the the live viewing plus, you know, maybe three days afterwards in terms of on demand viewing. It's called mm-hmm. live plus three. Um, but I'm sure this is like, you know just total views for until when the, the, the article was written. So maybe people watched it more than once, things like that. But still, that's that's an astounding amount of viewership. Well, and watching it more than once does mean being exposed to advertising more often. So that should still be a an important factor. It doesn't matter if it's necessarily the first time or the second yeah, time absolutely. or third time. Um, absolutely. They also credit, uh, the article anyway, credits that a lot of it has to do with, or some of it has to do with the fact that you can see the Game Awards on more than 40 different platforms, which when it comes to the Super Bowl, very, it, I mean, with all of the licensing and everything, you, you, you there's only a couple places you can see it. If, if mm-hmm. well, really only one official place you can see it, but maybe they're streaming of that particular service to, to various other niche services and things like that. But there's a lot of platforms it's on. And so it just made me, made me think too um it's it's not it's it's almost weird to say compare it to tv viewership because tv viewership is a dedicated uh platform it's a dedicated thing this is almost like an entirely new audience in a way so i it would be interesting if the oscars were as promoted on on more than 40 platforms like the game awards were if the oscars was saying hey we're going to also stream on all of these 40 platforms would its viewership now become incrementally larger because it's really just a restriction of the TV format that's preventing more people from seeing the Oscars, for example? I don't know. The The TV format is, is obviously shifting. As people become more mobile, as people become less available in the evenings, working longer hours, working not just your typical 9 to 5, people just cutting the cord, more and more screen time is done on phones on tablets outside of the home on commutes things like that and and that's really where your traditional cable providers or your traditional pay tv providers i should say are are really trying to keep up with the 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 new entrance into the the video world the things like youtube and twitch and sling tv and and things like that a lot of the traditional tv is now thankfully available you know on your tablet or on your phone you can a lot of a lot of providers let you watch your satellite or cable service right on your mobile device no matter where you are inside or outside of the home but that's still only really one avenue right you still don't ha- have the the plethora of of content providers 
airing something like you mentioned with the the video game awards being on twitch and on youtube and on their own website and i mean it was only a and it was an internet only delivery mm-hmm. uh, so it, it took the traditional method of delivery out completely and um and still did astounding and i think that's that's uh cool as a techno file and uh <laughs> terrifying based on what my career is <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess i didn't think about it that way Ugh. um but no it's i think it's very cool uh also i think in a way it it, it definitely adds legitimacy i think to games but at the same time i i am almost tired of the constant feeling like games need to be considered more legitimate in the eyes of you know popular culture so many people play video games it's a huge it's a huge 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 thing Mm -hmm. i i would be surprised if anybody but say old white guys in washington are really saying video games are not mainstream so i don't know that necessarily needs legitimacy um right now i'm you know i don't know yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it's a it's a huge, huge, huge industry. Um, I mean, it just I as I was reading the article on uh, or just re skimming this article here on on the Game Awards, I noticed Engadget has another article saying that just today Netflix uh, poached Activision's CFO. Yeah, so this is one of the largest media companies in the country or in the world, really. Um, raiding a video game company for one of their chief exec, one of their <laughs> chief officers. Um, wow. Yeah. So it, it, I, I think that definitely just shows you how, not only how much has has video game gaming arrived, but how traditional media tr- is tapping into the interactive media space in order to evolve. Video game companies are companies that have made their bread and butter in being interactive. And in order for video providers to remain relevant in the face of all the emerging competition, I think it's going to be more and more uh, crucial for video providers to be interactive and to be experience-driven. And when I say experience-driven, I mean providing an interface and providing a customer experience that is positive because the the content itself is is becoming commoditized mm-hmm. man it's yeah i don't know what else there is to say other than uh what do you think what do you see about moving on to our main event how, how would you feel about that i like it i like it and our main event is talking about the best video best video game related things of 2018 not just games but other things that interest interested us during 2018 we'll also touch on some of the worst things so uh, how do you want to handle this Uh, i have here listed a bunch of the 10 best games of 2018 according to metacritic this was taken probably in the middle of december um and the 10 worst games according to metacritic um then we have a few other things that we wanted to touch on i don't know how do you want to yeah, let, why don't why don't we do it like we did kind of with the the game awards uh, last year, where you just go through. Let's start with the ten best according to Metacritic. Just go through and read the read the list of them, and then afterwards we can just kind of chime in on a couple that we want to want to talk about. That sounds and great. We can do that for for each section. That sounds beautiful. So I'll do the ten best according to Metacritic. I'll start with ten and work my way down to one. 
Um, and the scores, these are Metacritic scores. Also, in some cases, the games appeared on multiple platforms. And so in those cases, um, generally speaking, the games appeared pretty close to one another. So I kind of just went with whichever one was ranked higher. Um, in some odd cases, though, the, 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 they were dozens of spaces away from each other. They're on the exact same platform, which is interesting. But uh, I'll start with uh, number 10 is Sonic Mania Plus on the Switch with a 91. Inside on the Switch with a 91. And that game was actually released a couple of years ago, but on the Switch, it, it hit this year for the first time. Bayonetta 2 on the Switch with a 92. Forza Horizon 4 on the Xbox One uh, and 92. Divinity Original Sin 2, the Definitive Edition, on Xbox One and PS4 at 92. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate with a 93 on the Switch. Undertale on the Switch, again, another older game, uh, a couple years older anyway, um, hitting the Switch for the first time at a 93. Celeste on Xbox One and the Switch, uh, rated both a 94 and a 92 respectively, so a little bit uh, lower rated on the Switch. Uh, God of War on the PS4 as a 94 and Red Dead Redemption 2 on Xbox One and PS4 at a 97. Ooh. This sort of bears out your comment earlier about how Red Dead Redemption edges out God of War for you, and Mm -hmm. you don't think, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, It's interesting going through that list, thinking how many of these top 10 best games of 2018, uh, according to Metacritic, are not 2018 games. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, at least they'll see Bayonetta 2, isn't right? Right, um, yes. Really, I mean, Sonic Mania Plus is just an enhancement of Sonic Mania. Mm-hmm. Inside, Inside Bayonetta. Bayonetta 2, Divinity Original Sin 2, it came out on PC last year. Undertale. <laughs> Undertale, yeah. That's, that's half of the 10. Yeah, right you're right. There. That is, that's crazy. That's crazy. Huh. If I was, If I was a really good podcaster, I would have removed those. But you know what? It's Metacritic's fault, not mine. Yeah, but um, I, it's interesting, though, because I think of you think of back to last year with 2017 and 2017 was it was just one heavy hitter after another. And I feel like this year there were a lot of games that were were good, um, but there wasn't the I guess the depth of the really, really, really top tier games isn't as deep. Um, you know, like just looking at the, the Metacritic scores here, you've got Red Dead Redemption 2 at a 97, but then it goes to God of War at 94 and mm-hmm. then Celeste 94. And then from there on down, it's 93 and down. Whereas I feel like 1990 or 2000, not 1997, 2017, um, I, I feel like there'd be a lot, there'd be more 95 pluses. Yeah. You're probably right. I'm actually going to check on that here real quick just to see because I'm interested. I mean, you think of things like um, Horizon Zero Dawn. You had Zelda Breath of the Wild. You had um, uh, Near Automata. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that three off the top of my head that I, I they have to all be 95 plus. Uh, actually, I'm not finding Near as being. Uh, did Near come out maybe in 2000? Six or near automatas. Wow, it's pretty far down there, actually. It's an 88. Well, fuck Metacritic. <laughs> fuck Metacritic. You're right. Look at what remains of Edith Finch at 88. Uh, boo. But yeah, there are more 90. There's two 97s Super Mario Odyssey, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, um, and then Breath of the Wild on the Wii U at 96. Uh, <laughs> Divinity Original Sin, Persona 5, 
uh, oh, there's What Remains of Edith Finch on Xbox One. See, here's in a case where on the Xbox One it's 92. On PC it's 89. On PS4 it's 88. That's just very strange. But yeah, yeah. Undertale's there as well. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. So um, yeah, th- of these games, really the only one that I really, I, st- I still haven't played any of the Bay- Bayonetta games and I really want to. I love Inside, one of my favorite games probably of all time. Um, and then Celeste is one that, God, I get so many great scores and I want to play it. Mm-hmm. But every time someone talks about what kind of game it is, I'm like, no, thank you. Because it, it's apparently a very difficult game. It's one of those precision platformers, like a Super Meat Boy or something. Yep. And man, I don't give a shit about those games. But people say the actual game play and even the story are fantastic. So it might be one of those games I just watch a Let's Play of or something just to get the get the feel. Get the experience mm-hmm. of what goes down. Yep. Yeah, uh, uh, the only ones I've played, I, obviously getting into God of War now, um, Divinity Original Sin 2, uh, played that, uh, Sonic Mania Plus, and I briefly played Horizon f- uh, Forza Horizon 4, um, which is the first game I've ever played on my Xbox One. You haven't played Inside, you jackass? I have not. And you told me about it before, and I actually picked up the the double pack, the mm-hmm. inside. Uh, what's the other game? Lim- Limbo. Limbo, yes, but haven't played it. All right, cool. So since you're the asshole, maybe you should go to the uh, ten worst according. Ooh, to Ooh, I'll do the ten worst. Yeah, <laughs> you know me, rounding up people and being politically incorrect and reading <laughs> off the worst games of the year. So I will also go with. Uh, I guess I'm going best to worst in the in, in this. <laughs> that's true. Order. Yeah, you're right. So uh, actually, Underworld, no. In, yeah, that's right. Okay, never mind. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Underworld Ascendant on the PC got a 36. I've never even heard of that one. I haven't heard of a few of these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting. The the only I think I've only heard of three of these. And one of them was a game that I just bought last week uh, or whenever there was that I placed that order for Gamefly's game of the or end of the year blowout. I bought it because it was six dollars and then I got it and went to add it to my database and realized I already had it. So I now have two copies of one of the worst <laughs> 10 games of the year, according to Metacritic. And probably worth less than six dollars that you paid. Yeah, for yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other one I bought new, I think, because I was just like. It was part of the ones that I was just clicking on as I was going through before the Amazon pre-order thing expired. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that was uh, I'll, I'll mention it when we get to it. But uh, number nine is Hollow on the Switch. Got a 36. I guess that's tied for for 10. One Piece. This one's kind of surprising. One Piece is usually I mean, they're kind of niche um, beat em ups, but One Piece Grand Cruise for the PS4, got a 35. This next one sounds really, really delicious. Super Seducer, <laughs> How to Talk to Girls. Also got a 35. Do you think it was ra- rated so lowly, so low because it didn't do a very good job at seducing girls, or do you think it's just a very bad game? I probably think that uh, in, the, in the age of... Pound me too. <laughs> it just didn't do all that well. Man, there's some there's some user reviews that find it pretty positive. Uh, great reviews on April 18th said most of the critic reviews are really retarded, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but, capital but, I can understand they don't want to anger their feminist and fat users and lose 25% of their income. It's a sensitive subject for some. And nobody knows sensitivity more than great reviews. Uh, man, <laughs> there's about 10 hours of gameplay in it, and I haven't found any bugs. Voice track is good. Nothing to say here. Uh, all right. So, huh. <laughs> I'm looking at the Polygon review for it, and uh, wow, it, it sort of it sort of looks very guy gamey. <laughs> <laughs> With a name like that? And it's all, it, it appears to all be like full motion video. Oh, it's not. That's yeah. weird. So it's not yeah, like so a Japanese novella kind of thing? No, I was totally expecting it to be definitely like a, a Japanese dating sim type thing. Yeah. But it, it, it says uh, the, the Polygon review headline is pickup artist game super seducer is as bad as it sounds. And then the subtitle is this is a learning tool in quotes. But not in the way it thinks it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, and every every screenshot is like pictures of just scantily clad women, like very very scantily clad women. Huh. So I can see how in this this era's climate uh, that that didn't do so so great. Climate is the statistics of weather over long periods of time. <laughs> Thank you, it Siri. That's exactly what I wanted to know. Humidity, atmospheric pressure, wind. <laughs> Precipitation, atmospheric particle count, and other meteorological variables in a given region over long periods of time. Hmm. Would you like to hear more? No, definitely not. <laughs> Did you actually change the wake up Siri command from Siri to uh, Super Seducer? I apparently did. Maybe I did that while I was uh, sleepwalking. Uh, super Seducer, uh, what's the climate in this, <laughs> in this general region? <laughs> moist <laughs> very mountainous <laughs> there's some peaks and valleys we'll just say that oh boy well moving on as mm. much as much fun as that was i'll uh i'll bookmark that review to go back and uh you know add that to my steam library later steamy library steamy library <laughs> oh man so good it's the seduction that just keeps on giving. <laughs> Peacocking at its best. <laughs> oh Well, I don't even know how to segue into this next one. This next one is the game that I now own two copies of. Uh, this, is per- this is specifically the Xbox version that's on this list. I got the PlayStation version. It's called Past Cure. Uh, and it's sort of like, I think it's like an adventure game. I think I have two copies of it. I should know what it is, but I don't. Um, It's a dark psychological thriller that blurs the lines between dreams and reality, but it's all garbage, apparently, (laughs) according to uh, Metacritic. The next is Agony, also received a 34. And then Fantasy Hero, unsigned legacy for Hmm. the Switch, 34. Gene Rain uh, for the Xbox One, a 32. The Quiet Man mm. on PlayStation 4, 29. And Wild Wild West Online for the place for the PC, a 29. Wow, that's a uh, that that's a great great slew of games right there. Yeah, and you know, Agony is the one that I see repeatedly people being 
especially disappointed by because the visuals when it was being teased and the concept were actually really kind of cool. It's sort of a, yeah. a, a you're in hell essentially and it's very very cool visuals. But yeah, everybody it, it just says how terrible of a game it is, which is unfortunate. So I'm hoping maybe yep. either the developer does something better next or there's a better developer that maybe takes over the visual art talent from that company and and can kind of do something with them. Yeah, the the art style on Agony kind of reminds me of um what's the movie director? Not Robert Rodriguez. Um It's got that kind of similar style where it's very grotesque. Um Wes Craven. No. No. It's got a Hispanic name, I think. Oh yeah, Guillermo. No, not Guillermo del Toro, right? No, he does like no. fantasy stuff. He's like the yeah fantasy guy. Um, well, maybe it is Guillermo del Toro. He does a lot of like, kind of out there. We- he did Pan's Labyrinth and like that kind of stuff. If that's, I think that was him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think Guillermo del Guillermo. <laughs> my 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 tongue can't do that, Guillermo. It's it's him mixed with like Geiger, like uh, the, the the aliens guy. Yeah, um, it's kind of that, that's kind of what the art style looks like, and it it ex- and it looks like some of the hell uh, levels of Hellblade. I don't know if you've played that yet, but it kind of looks a lot like that as well. Um, I I have not played it yet. I now I now own it because it's uh, it oh, is, physically. That's right. So that's right. I think delicious. you'll like it. Speaking of Norse stuff, there's a lot of overlap yeah. between God of War and uh, and Hellblade. Oh so, man. Yeah. It's going to be a very Norse, a very Norse winter for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other one is. It's a- actually speaking of Norse. I I have been getting into more of like just tracing my family tree. I've been d- diving deep into ancestry dot com mm. and have traced like my family back to the the area of Norway where my relatives are from. So that's fun. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, the only other game on here that I was disappointed by was The Quiet Man, not just because it's a, a Squeenix title, um, but because even though I felt when it was rele- revealed at E3, it looked not great, I felt like there was a concept there that was cool, but yeah, it, it's, it's apparently really, 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 really bad. Um, the whole idea that you're playing as a deaf character, and it's half FMV, half sort of beat-em-up, and it's and all of the vocals because you're playing as a deaf character you can't hear any of the vocals through any of these uh words throughout the game so it being part fmv where story is really important and you're not able to actually hear any of the story um is kind of uh concerning and doesn't really work surprisingly so yeah yep yeah, not great. It's one of those games that if I ever find if it, I don't think it'll ever be released physically by any means. But if it ever was, um, or even digitally, I guess if I fa- if it was just a couple bucks, I might play it just for the novelty of it because I've heard it's kind of interesting. It's just really badly done. So one of the, the the speaking of the the two worst ones on here, the other one, Wild Wild West Online, or sorry, just one Wild. Maybe if they'd have thrown in a second Wild, <laughs> it'd have done better. That's the sequel. But so it got. Uh, it got a 29 on Metacritic. It got a one star out of five on Eurogamer. But somehow, miraculously, on the Facebook marketplace, four out of five stars. Oh, wow. Just, I guess, so I guess it's, uh, it's the next Farmville. 
And I noticed the user score in Metacritic is 0.1. I wasn't aware that that was even possible. Wow. That's like when the, what was that movie that just came out? They had a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Was that the Will Ferrell one? Yep, yep. Yep. My wife and I went yep. and saw that. Uh, it's How? De- it's deserving of the zero. It's <laughs> there's a couple chuckles, but it's not good. <laughs> Which is crazy with Will Ferrell and uh, John C. Riley. Yeah, and yeah, they've they've done they've some good done stuff. Such good stuff together. Yeah. But the only thing I've really, really, really liked from them is Talladega Nights. Um, I was not a Step Brothers fan. I just it didn't work for me. But a lot of people seem to like it. Yeah. yeah, they could have just done a lot more with this movie. But anyway. This is about terrible video games, not terrible movies. That's true, but we're going to segue out of terrible video games into our worst things of 2018. Mm. And now this is this is our worst things in a video game sense of 2018. <laughs> so, yeah. You know. Yeah. All right. Um I guess I'll get started. Uh probably not a surprise to anyone, but uh I will say Fallout 76. Uh, mm-hmm. Man, I was looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah, yeah I've, so much has already been said. I don't know if there's anything else I can say. It was just a giant disappointment. Never have I been so right and so wrong about a game all at the same time. <laughs> like, the first announcement that I was like, oh, nope, not interested in that whatsoever. And then those bastards sucked me in with that damn promo and then that... Uh, uh, that whole talk that they had at, what was that? That wasn't at E3. Was that CES? What was that? At? Yeah, it was E3. They, yeah. Was it E3? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then I thought, oh, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic. And then, nope, turned out to be a shit-filled Krispy Kreme. Yep. <laughs> uh, the worst kind of Krispy Kreme. The worst Officially, kind. I think. Yep. Without a doubt. Yeah. Not good. What Not about, good. What about you? There's got to be a couple that uh, you're severely disappointed by in this. Yeah. Yeah, my number one is uh, got to be the rise of all things Battle Royale. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're not an online multiplayer gamer. Okay. Y- yeah. Got yeah. it. No, no, that's not a thing. No. <laughs> um, oh, other man. than that, I, I will. And I I think, so I'm, I, I don't have any issue with just there being battle royale games right like play what you want but when it infests all these other games where there's you know actual good games that then they try to build in this battle royale mode and just spend way less time than they would have on the actual thing that made that game great uh <coughs> <fall>. um <laughs> yeah let's uh let's not do that let's not cram multiplayer where it don't belong damn straight and i'm hoping that this is the lesson they learned is yeah. hey we should stick with it so Yep, yep, yep. What else? What else? Um, I think we're probably both a little disappointed, I would I would imagine, by the PlayStation Classic, right? I mean, mm, I already yeah. mentioned earlier that I did not get either of the NES Classics, so I'd never really anticipated getting the PlayStation Classic. But, man, I would have loved, loved for it to be a better console. Um, and you know I, how bad it is? I canceled a pre-order. Oh, my God. Oh, oh my yeah. God. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. That's how bad it is. Yeah, it's so really bad. I, although I'm of the belief too that I don't think there will ever be a time, and I know people shouldn't should never should not ever say never if that's the saying. Uh, I don't think there'll ever be a time when people get really nostalgic for early attempts at 3D polygons. Mm-hmm. It's just not a a lasting look like pixels no. are. 
So I think that in and of itself, there's just not a lot. If you go back and play those games, you realize, oh, they're bad. Like they're they were good at the time ish, but even at yep. the time, I think if you really cleared your thoughts, you'd be like, at the time, you're like, this is cool, but I, it's not great. Like Tomb Raider, I can't imagine that everyone really thought that was a great game. Like it's really well, I mean, bad. I mean, they're they're bad from a they didn't age well right i mean i think in the in the time it was so groundbreaking going f- moving from that 2d to a 3d space that it was all emerging tech at that point right i think typically all emerging tech kind of kind of sucks you know you're <laughs> Until the until the tech catches up, right? I mean, like, look at the Wii U and compare it to the Switch. Like, seventy percent of the Switch library is Wii U games, but nobody is going to be like, "Oh man, the Wii U! What a great piece of technology that was." <laughs> Grandma's will. <laughs> no, the Wii. That oh, that's true. Wii. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And, yeah. th- and therefore, is the problem with their marketing is uh, yep can't really yep. figure out the difference between them. Cool. Yep. All right. So. What so we we talked about the the best games critically acclaimed the worst games critically acclaimed the things that we were most disappointed about for 2018. Let's let's end this thing on a high note, and let's talk about not necessarily the games that we think were amazing, although though I'm sure we'll touch on a couple of those here. But what are just some games that we each played in 2018 that were great that we loved playing that we had a lot of fun with oh let's do it so i think i'm just gonna run i'm just gonna spit fire mine off real quick um red dead redemption 2 i loved uh spiral reignited trilogy at least the first game so far the other two are shortly coming loved the shadow of the colossus remake uh first time i had actually played shadow of the colossus and that was the right Mm -hmm. way to play it loved it a way out which i don't think got nearly the accolades that it probably should have it was when it was announced, everyone loved it. Everyone thought it was a cool idea. When it was released, there was a little bit of chatter, and then it quickly just died. I freaking loved it. It's especially sad because there are just way too few couch co-op games. Yeah, absolutely. right. And so this was really hanging its hat on it was a couch co-op game at its core. It was really the only way to play it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, you ha- you can't play it one player. You can play it online multiplayer, but it really does require being able to discuss things and, and actually sort of read people's body language and, and sort of, I don't know, there's a nice element of just having a conversation about the game you're playing. It's sort of, um, it's just the perfect kind of game. And I hope, I hope, I would love for there to be a niche genre carved out of this. I think it sold okay. It was only a $30 title too, which probably mm-hmm. helps out. Um, I think it's probably sold okay. I don't know. I didn't really check it out, but yeah, I think it just overlooked, unfortunately. Um, Marvel Spider-Man, which is fantastic and wasn't in the top 10 Metacritic games, which I thought was kind of interesting mm, because it's yeah. a fantastic game. And then, of course, God of War, which we've talked about already. God of War, obviously. And then uh, Divinity, Original Sin 2. I uh, was stoked that that came to PS4. And actually, the, the controls translated pretty well. I was scared that it was going to be um, sort of like Dungeons 2, where it was very much still a PC-based control, just with a cursor and mouse. Um, and speaking of Dungeons 2, one of the other games that I bought on that Gamefly end-of-the-year deal was Dungeons 3! Oh, oh man, wow. I, I can't wait to... I didn't even know that existed until I was searching through the uh, the cheap games on Gamefly's sale. And there it was, just waiting to be clicked on by me. 
we went in depth on on Dungeons Two and how how much fun I had with it earlier this year. Go back and check that episode out if you're interested. But uh, Dungeons Three, I'm coming for you. Uh, <laughs> next up on my list of great games from 2018, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Spent like a hundred and some hours in it. Prompted me to plan a trip to Greece for this year. 2019 uh, is going to be my my Mediterranean adventure as I turn 40. And then the last uh, last game that I have on here for 2018 greatness is Octopath Traveler. Mm. Uh, it has become my my traveling game. Play it every time I'm on the plane, as long as my girlfriend's not stealing my Switch <laughs> from me. So, Now, one thing I do want to ask. Yes. You've talked about this a couple of times throughout the year, so mm-hmm. I'm curious... Would you put Labo on this list? Not just as like a single one Labo game, but as in the ecosystem as a whole. Does it reach the, this was one of my favorite things about 2018 gaming? Yeah, you know, I didn't think about it until you asked that question, but I think I would. I think I would consider it a a really interesting thing from 2018. Uh, Possibly one of my favorites, but really primarily because of me being able to do it with my children you couldn't really i don't think as a grown adult without kids you'd have any fun with it so for that reason yes possibly i think it definitely does fit into the idea i I think it definitely does count as a game so there's there's no it's in the same way like steel battalion for example has a giant huge controller peripheral specifically for that game that's kind of the Mm -hmm. way i see labo it's just really a unique peripheral for for a series of mini games um so, but yeah, I, I'd say yeah, yeah, I'd say yeah. I ha- I know I only bought the one. The uh, then there's three I think sets out right now. So the fact that I didn't buy any more probably goes to show it's a bit of a novelty. But it was definitely a fun novelty and something that I would love to see uh, Nintendo iterate upon and continue doing something cool with. Yeah. How dare you accuse me of being a grown adult? <laughs> you know, or or any any grown adult uh, you know out there <laughs> then maybe listening to this video game podcast at hour number two i'm sure <laughs> all of you out there are grown adults <laughs> so we covered the things that we played that we loved what haven't you played that you think you'll love yes sir um Life is Strange Before the Storm, I think that came out in 2018, right? That probably, I haven't played any of the Life is Strange games, but I do own this, and I think it would be a lot of fun. It seems like it's right up my alley, um, so I do probably want to play that. Uh, then I'll probably play the first one, because I think this is like a, a prequel kind of game. So I'll play this mm-hmm. one, then play the next one, and then play, I think the second one just came out, right? Which was, uh, it's about two brothers or something, I think, or at least it's coming out soon or something like that. And then there was that free sort of side story with... Uh, the VR... Uh, well, there was, was like Kid f- America or Captain Kid or something. Um, there was that one that was free. I don't think it was VR, um, but that one I, I definitely want to play as well. The the awesome adventure yes. of Captain Spirit. That's it. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, Looks like uh, Life is Strange Before the Storm actually came out in August of 2017. Ah, oh, crap. Never mind then. Screw it. Yeah. So strike that. Strike next. that. Uh, Detroit Thank Become you. Human. Next. The next one. <laughs> um, I did buy Detroit Become Human uh, over the uh, the Black Friday kind of holiday for 20 bucks. 
Um, so I'm really looking forward to playing that one. That one I'm pretty sure came out 2018. Gosh, if that also didn't, I'm sorry. Um, May 25th, 2018. Yeah, there we go. Got one. Yeah. Uh, and the last one, the only game that I'm even at all remotely interested in in terms of VR is Astrobot, which I see is on your list as well. I didn't realize that until just now. Um, I've heard it's it's not just a good VR platformer. It's a solid really amazing platformer uh, mm-hmm. on it in its own right. It just uses VR as less a gimmick and more as an integral mechanic to the game. And that really, really, really interested me. So it's the kind of VR game that I think you could play sitting down, which is also yep. probably very nice. So yep. yeah, the, about the, about, like I said, the only VR game that's ever really super interested me for any reason more than just the novelty of VR. I'm really enjoying the PlayStation VR, but again, it is more of a novelty thing. It's more of a bite-sized thing. Uh, two of the games on my list are VR PlayStation VR games, one of them Astrobot also. Um, and the other one, for similar reasons, is that a, it's a platformer that kind of a, an adventure slash platformer, and that's Moss. Um, not your traditional, neither one is your traditional VR style game, uh, which is what, what intrigues me about them. Interesting, interestingly, every time I think of Detroit become human, I think for some reason it's a VR game. Hmm. And so like, I actually had to Google it here while you were talking about it. Cause like, why didn't he put PlayStation VR after that? And then <laughs> I, I see, Oh, because, because it's not a VR game. Yeah. I don't know why I, I have it lodged in my, my brain. That's that, that that's a PlayStation VR game, but hmm. uh, no, apparently it's not. It, it's not. And I can't think of a reason why you would either. So yeah, sorry. I can't, that's actually, you. that's actually why I didn't buy it on black Friday because I thought I already had it because <laughs> oh. I had like almost every physical VR play, PlayStation VR game. So screwed the pooch on that one. Nah, I have a feeling it's one of those games you'll find used pretty cheap within the next year. I mean, it's, it doesn't yeah. seem like a game that had a lot of lasting power. It was sort of one of those and it's a narrative game anyway. And those are all, mm-hmm. those usually go pretty cheap anyway. So yeah. Yeah. Um, the other two that I haven't played, but, uh, would like to at some point. And now I don't know if they will happen because they're both immense, immense time consuming games. They're both JRPGs, uh, that I have loved the series on. Uh, the first one is Dragon Quest 11. Um, one of my favorite JRPGs of all time is probably Dragon Quest VIII for the PlayStation 2. I uh, played a ton of that back in in college when when I uh, owned the game store, and um, that whole series just kind of takes me back there all the time. Um, and then the the other one would be Nino Kuni 2: Revenant Kingdom. Really loved the the artwork and the just the the kind of fun JRPG um, immersion in that uh, last last generation on the PlayStation Three. Probably my favorite play favorite RPG of that generation. Nice. We've talked about the the games that were good, the games that were bad, the things that we personally liked, the things we haven't played. And now, just some things from 2018 that just sound cool. And uh, these yeah. are both yours, actually. I, I Not that I don't think they sound cool, but, uh, you know, take it away. So the first one is a game that I played a lot of. I, I actually platinumed it right when it first came out, which a lot of people will think is probably some, like some form of torture uh, that violates the Geneva Convention. But <laughs> that's No Man's Sky. I played a ton of it. I wanted to love it. Uh, I was hyped for it like everybody else, 
But uh, in 2018, No Man's Sky released their next patch, which was uh, the update that everybody kind of says turned No Man's Sky into the game that we thought we were getting when it was first released. It added uh, some co-op capabilities. It added a lot of the mega fauna and mega flora. It added a lot of the kind of uh, interactivity that people thought would be there uh, in the, the original game. Uh, I haven't played it, but uh, it's something that intrigues me from 2018. Are they going to release, do you think, the that whole bundle on a, on a new updated disc, or do you think it'll only ever be a download patch? I kind of think it'll only ever be a download patch. Mm. I, I think they sort of spent their mustard on... Mm. Uh, on, on the launch, and I'm kind of frankly pretty surprised that they kept supporting it and kept supporting it the way they have. So, I don't know, I guess never say never, but I, I would be pretty shocked. Hmm. The other game that intrigues me from 2018 is a game I had never heard of until I was researching for this article or for this episode. Uh, it, it appeared on Polygon's top 50 games of 2018, and it's called. The Red Strings Club. And it's PC only, so I probably won't play it unless they actually release it for a, a console, which I doubt. But it's a... just It sounds like just a unique game idea. It's a bartending information gathering game. Hmm. So you play as a bartender, and the whole goal of the game is you're mixing drinks for people and trying to like smooth talk them and get information out of them. Uh, different different drinks, I guess, unlock different capabilities and different uh, different uh, conversation paths. Just sounds unique and funky and fun. Yeah, that does sound kind of cool. Yeah, I thought it might be something that would be up your alley. Intriguing, if you if, yeah. if you will. We do both like uh, being bartended to. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you pair mm-hmm. that with your earlier uh, Super Seducer game. I mean, that's yeah. kind of that. That's a fun night all packed. Yeah, together. it's like a it's like a brand new Leisure Suit Larry experience. <laughs> and we know the world needed one of those. Oh, we are the lounge lizards of the Masters <laughs> of Unlocking. Oh, so <laughs> with all of that lovely mental thoughts now mental images now in all of your heads. Uh, It's time where we say thank you. Thank you for listening to this. Uh, Thank you for subscribing. If you have, if you haven't, please subscribe. Please share this episode. Share, you know, share with all your friends on Twitters and all that kind of stuff. Have, you know, tell your friends about how great this thing is. Um, But where can you find us? Uh, You can find Scott as VG Collectaholic on most social media. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. His website is VGCollectaholic.com. Uh, you can find me, Caleb, all over the internet as Caleb J. Ross, uh, all one word, the letter J. Uh, YouTube, Instagram, website, Twitter. I'm most active on YouTube. Scott, I would say probably most active on Twitter or Instagram, which would you say is, is probably your of choice? Probably Instagram, actually. Mm-hmm. Lots of good pictures yeah. of his crazy collection that you heard about earlier. So go on there, bug him, make him send you lots of pictures, uh, mm-hmm. mostly mm-hmm. nudes. And you can find our podcast at mastersofunlocking.com. You can also find us on Twitter at at MOU Podcast, Instagram at Masters of Unlocking, and Facebook, of course, Masters of Unlocking. And please subscribe and write reviews. We would love reviews on your various podcatcheries of choice. Uh, that really helps get the word out about this, this lovely thing we love doing here. So thank you so much. We'll see you next time on episode 31 of Masters of Unlocking.